Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. This is a podcast where we analyze and talk in depth about the Warner Brothers films that are part of the Justice League universe, also known as the DC Extended Universe. The third film in this shared universe was just released digitally, and it contains several minutes of new footage that was not included in the theatrical cut. So in this episode of the podcast, I'm going to share some of my general reactions and preliminary analysis on the extended cut of Suicide Squad. Overall, it's still basically the same movie. Uh, it's not like with Batman v Superman where there were reinterpretations or representations of scenes in that Ultimate Edition or there were additional character storylines and things like that. In this one, there's some more Joker and Harley interactions and there's a few other small additions, but mostly it just adds a little bit to what was already there rather than adding in something completely new that wasn't there before. Um, my evaluation of the movie overall did not really change based on this extended cut. I still found that I liked the style of the movie, I liked the heart and the characters, um, but I still did not like the execution of the Enchantress character as the villain. Um, I liked the smoky witch design for Enchantress, that was good, but I didn't really like the uh, mystical goddess Enchantress and the dancing and that kind of thing. Um, I still think the action scenes were just good, not great. Um, I am really fascinated by this incarnation of the Joker, and he's really mesmerizing to watch, so it was good having some more Joker scenes to take in, but I don't actually think that the extra Joker footage really helped the overall quality of the film. I don't think they were needed. I'll explain that later. So for me, it's still a movie that I enjoy, but I don't love it. My rating stands at a solid but not great 7.5 out of 10. So in the opening of the movie, um, it's not new. Um, but one thing I just wanted to say, because it was kind of reinforced when I watched it again this time, is that I did not like the quick change in music right at the beginning. I like the opening uh, instrumental theme, and I also like the opening song, but I like them separately. I don't like that they change quickly from one to the other. I think it would have been better if they just picked one and got the flow going rather than interrupting the flow uh, by changing the music right at the start, like literally just a few seconds in. So that's something that, you know, to me, I think would, would have been an easy fix to get a little bit better flow into the beginning of it. One thing I noticed in Harley's opening scene, it's not new, but it's just something I noticed for the first time, is that her shirt says burn after use, which I think is fitting for Harley because Joker was going to use her and throw her away, um, but he had second thoughts after she fell in the acid and he ended up kind of falling for her and getting connected to her. Um, so she is somebody that was kind of in danger of being burned after use uh, and kind of burned as she was being used. There was some extended dialogue during the early Joker and Harley torture scene. Um, Joker actually describes some of the electroshock therapy that he had and how he lost some of his memories. Um, so it seemed like he actually had these grievances against Dr. Quinzel, which to me is less Joker-like. Uh, it seems to me like it's more Joker-like to have him just torturing for torture's sake because that's what Joker does. So I'm actually okay that they cut this for the theatrical version because I think in the theatrical version it was just Joker being Joker. He didn't really need lots of reasons or grievances. Joker here in this case was kind of created by the system um, or maybe the Joker was created and made more crazy because of that treatment, electroshock shock therapy and things like that. Um, and so that's maybe like a parallel to what happened to Croc where Croc was made a monster because of how he was treated or what they were trying to do to Diablo, like the forces were trying to make Diablo into a weapon. So Joker, you know, if the system and the psychological treatment made him crazy, um, that would kind of parallel that, but I don't think it really fits with the Joker, as well as him just being the Joker. So actually I like the theatrical version on uh, this point. 
Here we see Ayer's cameo in the extended cut. He's there um, with the Killer Croc scene. So I thought that's cool. I thought it's nice to have an early cameo from the director. He actually gets a couple lines. And because it's early in the movie, it's not too distracting. Um, you know, it's just in while things are still getting set up. So it doesn't interrupt or it's not distracting during kind of the main flow of the movie or the rising action later. Um, and I did think it was a funny addition with the vulcanized rubber hand. That was funny. Um, and here in the extended cut, the skinless goat gets a lot more attention. Um, and the match cut where it goes from Croc and the goat right to uh, Amanda Waller eating her steak. That was a little bit even better, more potent in the extended cut than the theatrical cut. But I'm okay with the theatrical cut because it, it's a little bit gross to have so much of the skinless goat here. Um, so if they were going for PG-13 and stuff, a little bit more family friendly in the theatrical version. One thing that's not new, this is from the theatrical version, but here I was able to confirm that I'm pretty sure the Wilhelm scream was uh, when Joker is breaking into the lab to get the nanite bomb technician guy. Um, so I'm pretty sure I heard that. One thing that is new is when they're flying in the helicopter, we actually have uh, Croc puking, which I think makes sense for a crocodile out of water. He's not really an air animal, so I thought that was kind of nice. And it added another beat before the helicopter is shot down, so I think that actually was a nice little addition. Another thing that is slightly different, a little bit added in here, was when they're walking out on their mission and they're starting to, the squad is chatting with each other about maybe trying to escape or take down Flag and the soldiers and getting away. This time in the extended cut, the full squad is involved and they all kind of check in with each other and say, hey, are we going to do this? Are we going to do this? Um, before they even get to the eyes of the adversary. So it's not just Harley and Deadshot doing that. It's kind of the whole squad. So this gives a few more interactions amongst the team, which I thought was a good addition. And it makes it more meaningful later when Deadshot uh, calls off the escape and he stands up you know, with Flag and stands his ground to help out. So that was a nice addition, but it's also not very realistic in this extended cut that the squad could get away with talking so much right in front of the soldiers. Um, I mean, they were doing a lot of whispering and going back and forth, and it seems like the soldiers would have noticed that they were kind of talking about something uh, unsavory. Then we get to the first fight with the eyes of the adversary. Um, it seemed like Killer Croc had some better action in this scene, but I'm not really sure. Um, I haven't actually compared them back to back yet. Um, but I did get an impression of a little bit better action from Croc here. I also realized this time that part of the reason I don't love the eyes of the adversary is that they don't seem to visually match with Enchantress and Incubus. Like, if you just saw them, the visual designs, character designs, it would be hard to guess by looking at them that the eyes of the adversary have their origin from Enchantress because the visual styles of the two are just very different. So I think that's one thing that held me back from really loving the Eyes of the Adversary or loving the Enchantress, because the two didn't quite work together, I think, visually. Um, we get a new scene with Harleen on the motorcycle catching up with Joker. So this is a you know big new scene here. Um, she says, you know, you're not leaving me. Um, I've proved I love you. Just accept it. And then the Joker has this thing about how he's an idea and he's kind of beyond the stuff that Harleen's trying to bring him down to. So to me, this kind of conversation, it brought a little too much attention to the idea of Joker. Like the Joker seemed too aware of who he was and how he is this idea. I kind of like it better, more like in the theatrical cut where he's just a mysterious force of nature. Harleen says, my heart scares you, but a gun doesn't. That's a good line. Um, but it's maybe too much psychoanalyzing of Joker for a movie that's not actually about the Joker. It's not his central movie. So again, I can see why they 
eliminated some of this for the theatrical cut. They still kept Joker just enough for the theatrical cut, but here in the extended cut, it's almost too much Joker because it's not his movie. Although I must say that it is kind of good to have this stuff in the extended cut because then we can look at it and see it, but it doesn't have to be in the theatrical cut. Um, but it was kind of interesting here to see that the Joker really did not want Harleen. Um, and so then that's a really nice contrast to the present time where the Joker is totally lovesick over her and is trying to get her back you know, with all his might. So this does make that contrast a little bit more potent. The Joker's just totally pushing her aside in the flashbacks, um, but he turns around at the acid pit, and then now in the present time, he really, really seems kind of lovesick over her just as much as she is over him. Croc and Harley have a little action here about I don't want your crazy um, when Croc is talking about maybe eating people uh, or Harley's asking him about that and um, so that's kind of a nice new line and then there's this extra interactions here between the team we actually see in the extended cut that Katana takes off her mask and says I'm not hiding and she says that in English so that's kind of a little you know additional moment for Katana which is kind of nice. And here in this extra footage, we have Harley reminding us that she's a former therapist. And she's trying to diagnose people. So it could have been included. It gives some more development and interaction for the team itself. So this is one spot where I think maybe, you know, if I had my way, it would have been kept into the movie. And then we get to the bar scene, uh, which is a great scene from the theatrical cut. I really liked it a lot. I think it's even a little bit better now in the extended cut because um, it's a little bit more of a complete flow of the interactions. And it's such a great scene. It's nice to just have it go on for a little bit longer or a few more lines. So that was good there. Um, then we have Flag and Deadshot. Uh, there's an additional part here when they are going towards the final battle and they are talking about love and Flag kind of gives his little you know perspective on love and June Moon and stuff. So it does fill out a bit of their arc. Deadshot and Flag have been kind of having their rivalry throughout. So I can see why they're having another little interaction there. And it gives a little bit more to Flag's character, his, you know, kind of his side storyline with him in June. Um, but I think this one is good to be cut. I'm okay with it being eliminated from the theatrical version because it interrupts the momentum of going toward that climactic battle. Um, when you're going toward something that important, it seems a little bit off track to me to just kind of, you know, reminisce and talk about love and your feelings and stuff. Uh, it doesn't ring true to me to what those two characters would really be talking about as they're going to something that important. Then we get up to the climactic battle and everything, and it's, as far as I could tell, it was the same as the theatrical, um, which means there's some good and some bad. Um, I really liked Enchantress giving the false visions to the squad. I thought that's really great. Um, brings things together a lot. It really draws you into the characters right before the climax, uh, the action at the end. So I thought that was really good. The final battle itself is decent, but um, it's not great when Enchantress is the you know, mystical goddess, but it does get better when Enchantress changes back to the Smoky Witch. I just like the Smoky Witch a lot better than the goddess dancing, uh, waving character. Um, and I thought it was cool too, you know, how they bring Waller back into the final fight, so they remind us that she's one of these main characters. Um, but that's, you know, the same as the theatrical version. And then again, Climax, I think, is fitting for the story and the characters, how it all comes down to Harley and Deadshot, the two leads, and they each have a moment that kind of resolves their own personal character arcs, and they have to do that to actually resolve the fight and save the world. So that's basically the same. Some good, some bad. Um, again, Enchantress a little bit, holding things back from being even better. And, you know, talk more about this when we're analyzing the movie overall, but 
the uh, Flag and June Moon stuff resolves fine, but it just does feel like Flag and June Moon could have been set up better, and then that would have made the ending have even a little bit more punch, and maybe move this movie from something like a 7.5 up into like the 8, 8.5 range. So it's really the Enchantress and June Moon and that, that stuff that's holding it back. But the extended cut overall, some additions that I think would be good to have kept in the movie, um, some that I think were good to have cut, so it's kind of, you know, take it or leave it. Um, but again, not a big big deal. I don't think it's basically just details around the edges. And I think it's basically the movie that people saw in theaters. A few little things to dig into if you enjoy doing that. But it's really the same movie either way, I think. All right, so that's just my personal quick reactions to the extended cut. We're going to be back uh, in full force with another episode on the Suicide Squad analysis. That'll hopefully be coming pretty soon. And then we will probably turn back to our favorite superhero movie of 2016. Of course, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. We've still got some more stuff to dig into there. And in the meantime, we're going to send out two DC trade paperbacks to our contest winners. Scott Lehrer at slarer3 on Twitter, and Shay Lonsdale, at Shay Lonsdale on Twitter. They were two of the people who had some ideas about the 23s that were in Suicide Squad. In my most recent viewing of the movie, I saw the 23 on the guy's jacket at the very end of the movie when he saw and opened the cell. Um, and I also saw a 23, I think, in the helicopter. But I'm pretty sure when I saw this in theaters that I remember seeing another 23 somewhere else, but I missed it this time. And so we had these ideas come in about the number 23, what it might mean in Suicide Squad if it was on purpose. And one idea was that it might be a reference to Detective Comics 23, um, specifically 23.2, because that had the origin of Harley Quinn in the New 52. So that might have been something that David Ayer was reading. Um, and maybe it was a reference to Michael Jordan's basketball jersey number, because Jordan played on the Bulls with Phil Jackson and the Triangle Offense. So that's a possibility as well. But anyway, thanks for listening, and thanks to the Suicide Squadcast and Man of Steel Answers for your inspiration. And everyone have a good Thanksgiving, and remember to spread love and kindness. That's the most important thing of all the things.